0: Hi Brickies, I'm Dominic, the last one standing with a kink for cannibalism.
1: And I'm Kate, the resident phobia expert who also hears voices.
0: And you're listening to Shit and Bricks.
1: A podcast where we talk shit about stuff that scares us.
0: Ripping a few laughs and survival tips along the way.
1: As always, please subscribe, rate and review us. And don't forget to follow us on the socials at Shit and Bricks Podcast.
0: Like the morning after a night on the curries and cans, here it comes. So drop your ducks, pop a squat, and let's get into it. (laughs) I found this amazing TikTok the other day, Kate. Yes. I'm collecting all my TikToks that make me giggle, even when I'm in a really foul mood, and this one made the cut. And it's very silly, but it's a comedy, like a spoof. No, it's not a spoof. It's it's like the Titanic movie re-edited with really funny elements. <laughs> yeah. It's like, you know, when Rose falls off the back of the boat and Jack catches her, <laughs> he lets her go and she just falls to <laughs> her death.
1: End of movie.
0: Yeah, end of movie. Or when she's like, Jack, I'm going to get off the boat with you and he's like this is crazy this is so insane she's like i know and then you know it cuts to the scene where she like hocks a loogie and spits in (laughs) billy zane's face (laughs) anyway i I enjoyed it. it uh because i'm a titanic fan and it's really silly go check it out
1: I love the comedian Michelle Wolf. She's hilarious. She's just oh. had a Netflix special. Actually, she's so funny. And one of my favorite bits that she does was if Titanic was during uh, the time where uh, millennials were on the boat, <laughs> and how she's like, um, "Oh my god, like this is crazy out here. Like I can't believe how cold it is on these lifeboats. Like, and this ocean. It's like so random. <laughs> just she just nails the millennial ideals."
0: She I does her delivery that oh. she smiles while she talks, and yes. it's so deadpan.
1: It's so good. Her joke and her jokes hit; they absolutely slap. Like I love her stuff. It's so good, yeah. so good. So I'm actually going to watch that after this, after we record.
0: Lovely. Well, shall we do a little bit of oh, oh, oh. 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 Keep it. keeping?
1: Keeping.
0: Yeah, let's do it. Let's get it over and done with. Rip that date. Folks, you know the drill. Do it just so I don't have to keep repeating myself.
1: Yeah, yeah. do it.
0: Yeah. But if you're new to us, you have no idea what housekeeping is. So let me introduce you. Housekeeping is where Kate and I very kindly remind you to go check out our amazing social channels. TikTok, YouTube, mm-hmm. Instagram is our favourites. And it's easy to find us because it's just shittin.bricks.podcast. Straightforward. So go do that. And while you're doing that, you may as well just go check out our Patreon because each week Kate and I do a bonus episode. So you're missing out on like half the fun and it only costs you five bucks.
1: Exactly. We've got a good one for our Patreon today.
0: Oh, my God. I've turned into such a list maker. Kate's indoctrinated me into the giant list. Welcome. And my last one was just list after list after list. But, um, yeah, go check out our Patreon again. It's shittin.bricks.podcast, the Patreon. So do that. Yep. Also, we got an amazing review recently, Kate. I don't know if you saw it, but someone from the States, SNM2020 or something like that, Mm -hmm. love the name, Yep. was like, you two are so fucking funny, capital F-U-N-M-Y. Oh, Yeah. So if you're listening, thank you so much for your kind review. And this is our year of reviews. So, yeah, give us five stars because we deserve it.
1: Exactly. Get into it.
0: Also, we are part of the BooPod Network, which is a network of other amazing podcasts from all over the globe. If you follow our socials, you can find all the podcasts. Um, We're not going to spruik a particular one this week, but it is fast approaching spooky season. Ooh. Halloween is what I'm talking about. And each year, BooPod Network, we do a Halloween special, and we're doing another one this year. And I can't tell you what it's about just yet, but it's very fucking exciting. So stay tuned for that.
1: Stay tuned. Tune in.
0: Yeah. Last but not least, Kate and I are fast approaching episode 100. I cannot believe it. 100 weeks straight, Kate.
1: Yeah. 100 weeks straight. I've never done anything for 100 weeks straight in my life.
0: Except breathe. Except drink. (laughs) (laughs) But Kate and I are smashing it towards uh, episode 100. Then we're going to do like um, a big top episodes of all time little segment for a a few weeks. And then we're coming back with a really secret special thing for you folks. We can't tell you it's a
1: secret. Yeah, so you'll have to wait for when we can tell you, but we can't. That's right. Not now. Sorry. What I'm really currently enjoying about this podcast recording, Dom, is that your audio is coming through loud and clear and on time, but your video is like you are in a spaceship (laughs) and it is slow and jittery and moving at a pace that is making me laugh and it's about two minutes behind
0: <laughs> Lois well enjoy that Kate
1: <laughs> I am I'm gonna enjoy it <laughs> I almost need to record it I'm gonna record some of it before it comes back because it's too funny
0: oh no, thank like, goodness my audio is coming through and um and, and yeah stuff and also that it's not my week for um recording so for
1: storytelling yeah, yeah. <laughs> exactly so I don't need to look for your um visual cues because you are, um, yeah, it's it's happening at the rate of knots. It's great. <laughs> I,
0: really, I love it. Really I'm slowly. so good.
1: Yeah. <laughs> All right. I
0: got some that is the end of here. housekeeping.
1: Housekeeping. I Well, if it's the end of housekeeping, that means it's time for me to get into today's episode. <gasps> what the fuck's it is it going to be? I can't wait. <laughs> today's episode, if you've clicked on it, you would know, is called Doomsday Delights. Mm. And welcome to all of you listeners who are now going to hear about some doomsday deals. Mm. Uh, 50% off for the apocalypse. Um, we've got specials on the plague. And a nuclear winter <laughs> is half price. <laughs> uh, which is the same as 50% off um, the apocalypse, but whatever, you pick the deal. Doomsday phobias. Now, doomsday um. phobias, these are a broad category of phobias. I'm doing a bit of a deeper dive into phobias uh, today. I'm not just going to give you the name of one and then leave it at that. Uh, we're just going to talk about because there are a whole bunch of them. Okay. Now, any of these phobias, um, they can encompass the fear of the end of the world. Makes oh, that's sense.
0: Fair. Yeah.
1: Some people fear the plague, others nuclear winter, whilst other people are afraid of Armageddon. Uh, not the film, the event. Um, but I am also afraid of the film. So dumb. So dumb. Um, and the, my favourite fact about the film Armageddon is about how the people that were in the film questioned the film when they said, why don't you train astronauts to drill rather than drillers to be astronauts? <laughs> and the director was like, shut up, <laughs> get on set. We don't Get have out time of here, Ben hate. Affleck. <laughs> we don't have time to do that, so shut your mouth. Now, doomsday phobias occur in some form uh, in virtually every corner of the world. Like many specific phobias, these phobias can be loosely categorised into several types. Two of the most common are technology phobias and religious phobias. It is unknown how prevalent doomsday phobias are but an estimated 12.5% of US adults will experience a specific phobia at some point in their lives. Wow. That was from the Harvard Medical School.
0: I'm not the- surprised at that to be perfectly honest.
1: Same because, same.
0: No offense but you live in the states and it's it's a bit doomsday
1: Correct. Now, the increase in extreme weather events and other climate change-related phenomena may well contribute to more recent instances of this kind of phobia, with many worrying about what kind of world we may be handing off to future generations. I don't disagree. Mm -hmm. One of the phobes, nuclear anxiety, uh, sometimes called nucleometophobia, has persisted since the Cold War and the early years of nuclear innovation. It can certainly be stressful knowing that there are stockpiles of weapons around the world that are powerful enough to level a city in one strike. Yeah.
0: Yeah. I mean, you, you, I feel like Cold War. It was really a possibility. Where I just, I just don't vibe a nuclear war for us. I don't think it's. Likely. I'm not.
1: Yeah, the vibes off. Vibes off nuclear war. Like I'm not into it. It's not part of my journey.
0: (laughs) <laughs> it's not on my mood board it's for not 2024 a, it's, just not a, it's
1: just not really like a feel that I have um, I'm not, like I need to consult my chakras And check if, uh, you know, Venus is in Mercury but, I do love
0: though, Kate, the fact that yeah. Putin, Putin and Kim Jong-un met today In North Did Korea they? at some secret space oh. base So quite timely cool. that we're talking about this
1: <laughs> They're talking about nuclear anxiety, that's yeah. right more recently, however, the global pandemic um, or the global panic over the, no, I've said pandemic too early. Just ignore <laughs> that. The global panic over what was termed the millennium bug or Y2K was oh. another example of a potential doomsday phobia based in technology. Do you remember that, Dom? I My goodness. I
0: was about to say that there, I can't believe that there are people that are listening to this that don't realize that that was a legitimate fear and 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 we Kate and I can genuinely remember being we were old enough to know what was happening and young enough to be I was legitimately afraid yeah I was I know I was at my friend's house Peter Woods oh Peter Woods for New Year's Eve 1999 and I had on my amazing red Adidas snap pants black of and red Adidas you snap pants. And I thought Unreal. I was the coolest fucker. And I thought, oh, if the world's going to end, I'm going to look
1: good. I'm going down looking amazing. Where were you, Kate? No. Oh, 99. Oh, that's a great question. <laughs> I don't know where I was in 1999.
0: Um, so clearly you don't remember that. No, <laughs> I,
1: sh- I think the problem was I wasn't wearing black and red Adidas snap pants. <laughs> so why would I have any reason to... <laughs> To fish that that memory.
0: That's
1: right. It wasn't my best time. No, I wore a lot of t shirts and jeans, still do, um, but I wear them a little bit better these days. (laughs) I had a growth spurt um, around that time where I went from being a small ish child um, to being as tall as I am now, um, which is about uh, 5'8, 5'7, 5'8. So but the problem was is because I was young and hadn't had yet to go through puberty I uh, just was like a bean pole of a human yeah. I just had the longest arms skinniest longest arms and legs I looked just like a spider person Um so no doubt I was wearing some sort of cool novelty t-shirt um and some baggy jeans um, but that's all I can remember That's all that's I can okay. remember That's okay. okay but
0: it's a real fear folks we did think yes. the world was going to end
1: Now, people in all walks of life, including some highly respected scientists and engineers, became convinced that the world's computer systems would be permanently halted or destroyed on January 1st, 2000. Mm -hmm. The science behind the dilemma seems sound. The theory was that early computers were programmed to accept only two digits rather than four digit dates. Meanwhile, 00 is not a recognized entry in binary computer language, leading to system failure in many cases. According to this theory, then, when the year rolled over from 99 to 00, the computers would crash. So it's not completely out of the realm of possibility. Yeah. Based on that science. It wasn't just like, oh, God, this is it sounds bad. Uh, it was yeah. It was based in in science.
0: Yeah, the prediction wasn't terminators were going to take over. It was <laughs> yes. just okay. Maybe a plane stops working. Worst case scenario, yeah. plane just shits itself and falls out of the sky. I think that Correct. was the image in my head. It's like, oh, Dom, don't get on a plane because it will yep. fall out of the sky.
1: Yeah, that's right. It I didn't. bet there were some thrill seekers with like, we're doing it. We're catching yeah. a flight that's <laughs> going to cross time zones between ninety nine and two thousand. We're doing it. Let's buckle in. Let's go for it. Yeah, let's ride. (laughs) Now, of course, of course, the millennium bug did not come to fruition. Most high-powered computer systems already accepted four-digit dates, and those that did not were mostly reprogrammed well in advance, preventing any kind of large-scale crash. So what was the Y2K scare really? Was it a collective outpouring of primitive doomsday phobia or... A Simple Case of Mass Hysteria. So mass hysteria comes into this pod just a touch. Here we Um, go. Here we go. (laughs) The latest example of a widespread technology phobia surrounds the Atom Smasher, which was turned on in September of 2008. Prior to a successful launch, many predicted the device would create black holes and strangelets simultaneously choking and collapsing the entire planet. (gasps) To date, would you believe, no such catastrophe has happened <laughs> to date. <laughs> so that's a bonus. That's good. <laughs> Perhaps doomsday phobias are related to the fear of the unknown. Now, a lot of phobias, a lot of anxiety is around that. So that's, you know, that makes sense to me. Yeah. Uh, fueled by science fiction films, it's easy for our imaginations to go into overdrive. Religion is a highly personalised system of beliefs, largely based on faith. Holy books such as the Bible contain a great deal of mystical writing and parables, the meanings of which have been debated by scholars throughout the ages. In the modern world, most people have chosen to balance religion with science, seeking interpretations of sections such as revelations that make sense against a larger frame of reference. However, Many people believe that these sections are meant to be taken literally. If this is the case, then the end of times will be extremely scary. (laughs) It is easy to see how belief in the literal interpretation of religious writings could develop into a phobia. Someone who is from a religious background but has begun to question its teaching could easily develop a phobia of finding out the truth through death. Since doomsday phobias are relatively common, they are often exploited in popular culture. The best-known example is the 1938 radio broadcast War of the Worlds. Mm. I have studied this many times. Mm -hmm. I, uh, yeah, talk about this in terms of media, in terms of context, in terms of mass hysteria, in terms of, uh, yeah, what that brought to the media zeitgeist, I suppose. If you're not familiar with the War of the Worlds, uh, it was a live broadcast cl- broad on radio. So this was during a time where people would, that was the thing, as radio plays and radio shows and things like that, were at designated times during the week. So families would crowd around the radio if people were fortunate enough to have one, turn it on at a certain time, and then they would go ahead and listen to these, these radio shows. The problem was was that uh, Orson Welles, who was doing the the War of the Worlds, the, the program, um, on CBS, which was another station, their program ran over a little bit. So a lot of people tuned in to War of the Worlds, I think on NBC or whatever the broadcast was, um, later. So they missed the proviso that this was a fictional yeah. uh, story. So they missed that bit, came in to a, you know, really comprehensively, uh, creative and well put together tale of the world being invaded by aliens. Uh, so it was. Um, it's pretty brilliant. impressive. It's brilliant. It's it fantastic. Is
0: brilliant, and I would say it's probably number one in all of h- human history, media and yeah. performance, or anything of that nature. Multimedia art. I still dream of living in that moment i would have been there you and kate and i would have been there part of the crew doing this show without a doubt fucking brilliant yeah and And you can listen to the whole thing yeah you can listen to
1: the whole thing online i know
0: i wish we lived in a time where that sort of thing could happen agree this is ruined
1: yeah i know Uh, Now, the broadcast was heard across the United States and mass panic ensued. Nearly 60 years later, the made-for-television movie Without Warning with a similar premise caused another minor breakout of fear and panic. Now, it can be difficult to differentiate a legitimate doomsday phobia from the effects of mass hysteria. Groupthink is a documented phenomena that occurs when members of a group begin to conform to the majority opinion without critically evaluating information for themselves. In a panic situation, this can lead to an evolving hysteria. So anybody who has ever experienced this, that's a common phenomena, mass mm-hmm. hysteria. And, you know, we've lived through everything so far. <laughs> I'm sure there's more Where <laughs> for are us I? to deal with. <laughs> Just we're hanging on. Well, but I'm I, certain- a good, yeah, a good example,
0: Kate, is like when you're at a sports event and you get yes. wrapped up in the excitement of being... And you want to yell like there's someone's done something stupid, and you're like, Fuck
1: it, I'm, I'm you're
0: kidding. Like, that's very out of character for you, Dominic. Yes. I mean, why did you speak that's so it. horribly.
1: Wow. Well, Just the vision of you standing up and then saying, <laughs> We're doing it. <laughs> <laughs> Proclaiming to a crowd of people that you don't know that your team was coming back to win a game was one of the greatest moments of my life. Um, Sorry, but, yeah, no, <laughs> yeah, no, amazing. Uh, in the above pop culture examples that I just discussed, the panic eased when information was decimated, explaining that the threat was not real. So when you get the facts, you can calm down a little bit. And I feel as though that was such a, you know, one of the things that we can always uh, refer back to because we love talking about it. Um you know, is mass hysteria around COVID and the media and their role in it and how people were able to process what was going on and because of the lack of information, uh, that was frightening. So, Mm -hmm. you know, people would turn to social media to try and determine what's going on, but when it's just a free-for-all of people and opinions, uh, that can cause some serious panic. Mm -hmm. If you have a legitimate doomsday phobia, it will not be limited to a specific event or situation. Okay, so if you feel as though you panicked or that you felt like you were like, this is a bit uncomfortable, this whole COVID situation, um, that's okay. You're all right. You don't have a doomsday phobia. Instead, if you did, your fear will persist. So you become afraid whenever any situation arises that involves your specific phobia.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: So if it's to do with nuclear arm or, arms or if it's to do with Armageddon or whatever the case may be, you will anything that involves that will, will set you off. Um, you might find yourself dwelling on the topic of doomsday and going out of your way to seek comfort or protection. So that is my wrap-up of a doomsday phobia, which is just a blanket term.
0: I wonder, Kate, whether in all seriousness that this may start to appear more commonly in current generations because you know maybe we're not at risk of nuclear war but we are facing serious changes in the world and there's mm-hmm. there's lots of intense things coming to a bit of a head in the next you know our lifetime yeah i'm wondering if there's you know all those people that are like i got a bunker motherfucker and i got like <laughs> 60 years worth of food <laughs> yeah you know, i'm i'm not totally against all of those people um mm. But I feel like, th- anyway, I just feel like we're going to see more of that. And there's more legitimacy and true sort of hysteria and anxiety towards end of world type scenarios because of climate change, because of destab- destabilizing governments and that mm-hmm. So anyway,
1: just. Yep. No, I hear you. Sorry to bring now, Dom, no, that here. was no, but that was good because you have created a nice little segue into the next portion of my podcast episode today. I love a little story mixed with another little story and then yeah. I just give you some more little stories. So today I'm gonna to begin with a couple of great examples of doomsday Preppers. yeah, so my favorite one, which I found so I'm gonna tell it first before the sake of uh, just starting off with a bang, but I want to tell you about Bruce Beach. Do you know Bruce Beach, Dom?
0: No, but I want to. Bruce, come I have a cuppa with me. I
1: wish he was able to do that. Bruce Beach had always planned to be around for the end of the world because he was going to start the new one from the safety of his sprawling underground bunker. The wispy-bearded inventor, picture of him on our socials, spent half of his life prepping to be a post-apocalyptic Noah from his home in Hornings Mills, a tiny community outside of Orangeville, Ontario in Canada. Mm -hmm. He buried, picture on our socials, 42 school buses in the 1980s, and linked them together into the world's largest private fallout shelter, the Ark Two.
0: He buried 42 school buses.
1: He buried 42 school buses, and they linked them all together. So, big uh, American, Canadian yellow school buses, 42 of them, buried them in the ground. Jesus, where did he? And then linked deal, them all together. All right. The picture is so cool. The picture of all of them in the ground is amazing. Then he recruited friends, family, and fellow survivalists to his cause, assembled plans for restarting society after the nukes hit, so he was assuming nuclear Armageddon, and began developing a universal language that would supposedly unite humanity through a common tongue. He did All of this under the assumption that the world would end soon and that he would be around to start a new one. So he's like this community creator through his bunker system of 42 school buses that he buried under the ground. The sheer amount of work, like I love this. You know when you're working on something and it's like this little thing and you look at your list and you kind of go, I could do the top five things on my list. Um, but what I might do is think about <laughs> the Christmas gifts that I'm going to buy for people. I realise it's only September, but maybe I'll think about Christmas gifts. It's like that where he was thinking about something that was happening far in the future, but he did it for the Armageddon and buried 42 school buses. It's crazy.
0: I just love the, 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 the sheer ego on this guy going, Canada, Canada. Gonna be a real target. Like Canada's huge, folks, and y- you've got like is. four cities in a space the size of all of the United States. Mm-hmm. Like it's pretty empty and pretty like hello. And this is coming from Australia. Like you know, we got lots of empty space too. So we do. I just love these like oh Canada's first. Gotta <laughs> let's
1: do it. <laughs> let's do it. Let's go. Let's go yeah. to Bruce Beaches. arc two The world
0: could end, and you could be in Canada and walk. A week in every direction and still be like, no, nothing's fucking changed. I get nothing,
1: nothing. There's
0: Trees all look the
1: same. There's a moose. <laughs> it's a moose. <laughs> now, Dom, you said that you would have loved to have a, have a cup of tea with Bruce, but unfortunately Bruce Beach's life came to an end before the world did and he suffered a heart attack at age 87. Beach oh, yeah. died on May 10, leaving behind an ailing wife, five grown children, a massive bunker, some half-finished plans for a new world and no instructions for how to carry on without him.
0: <laughs> oh flooring your system there buddy
1: come on mate now his
0: continuity it's got to be a
1: thing gotta have a plan now his family friends and followers are facing a cataclysmic question of their own what's next will someone continue beach's mission up to and beyond an uncertain doomsday or will the ark too be buried with its noah Beach was well known on news and exploratory shows as The Bunker Guy, the eccentric doomsday prepper who dedicated his life to an apocalyptic conspiracy theory. But those who knew him say that portrayal falls well short of the man himself. They say Beach was an independent thinker, a humanitarian and a big dreamer who made one of his biggest dreams, The Bunker, into a reality. This guy lived an incredible life and the bomb shelter is just one chapter, said filmmaker Paul Kell, who spent eight years shooting a documentary about Beach. He's the world's most successful, most grandiose failure imaginable. (laughs) (laughs) Beach dabbled in apocalyptic, libertarian, anti-vaccine conspiracy theories, but he was also a generous man who would open his home and his bunker to anyone as long as they were willing to put in the work. He wouldn't have taken money from you per se, but if you want his time, you have to give your time, said Bahia Eldna, Beach's l- eldest daughter from his second marriage. Where did he find the time to have two marriages? Christ, <laughs> he's a busy boy. Beach would often ask people to chop logs for his wood stove before letting them into the ark. Curious visitors and the occasional journalist would pay that price just to get a look at the structure while true believers would offer more of their time just to be a part of Beach's grander project. People could always come and have a meal, and people were always working on the shelter, Eldner said. He had a mission to serve and to make things better and rebuild, said Adam Heimer, a 30-year-old engineer who helped Beach at the bunker for a decade. Heimer says the bunker was a symbol of Beecher's ambitions because he built it to save hundreds of people, not just his own family. It was that humanitarian trait that attracted many others to his cause, according to Antonia Lau, a proclaimed psychic and prominent member of Beach's wide-reaching bunker community. What I love most about him is he inspired many more to care for others, not just your family, Lau said. She has since taken over his long-running Prepper newsletter, which goes out to roughly 2,000 people around the world. I wouldn't mind receiving that newsletter, to be perfectly honest. Just
0: one. Give me one. Yeah, I just
1: want to see what it's like. Toot read? Toot (laughs) read. It's a quick toot read. Love it. Beach would wrangle friends and local officials with his stubborn dedication to the bunker, but he also earned their respect. That should have been wrangle, not wrangle. Mm. My apologies. He was a pretty forward thinker, a great negotiator, a great barterer, said mm 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 -hmm. Melanchthon Township Mayor Darren White whose Mm -hmm. community includes Hornings Mills. Whenever I say Hornings Mills it makes me think of Cochran's Mills, Pennsylvania Mm -hmm. which is where Abby Bartlett went to dedicate a statue of Nellie Bly which happens to be one of our very early episodes. This is a this is a thin thread, but I'm here, uh, to our podcast, which I did an episode on Nellie Bly. She was an investigative journalist who changed the world of psychiatric hospitals for the good and the future. So if you haven't listened to that episode, go ahead and do that. But we are not talking about Cochran's Mills, Pennsylvania. We're talking about Horning's Mills and Darren White, who is the mayor of that community. <laughs> Luke, Fuck, That Luke. was good. That was pretty good, I think. It is a loss for the community for someone with so much character and so much local color to be gone. Now, now I as an investigative journalist do not know what has happened to the bunker in recent times. Um don't know. Don't know if it's done. I know that the the newsletter's still going, but okay. aside from that, I probably could have looked that up.
0: I have so many questions and I think this episode is really, if you haven't got got the clues for it so far, folks, I, I'm, I'm on the precipice of being a bit of a doomsday prepper myself. Uh,
1: I, Yeah, you're legit. not on the precipice, you 100%, <laughs> you just haven't put it into action, action yet. You've yet, got all yeah. the thinking and that for our listeners is actually going to be our uh, Patreon bonus today, is oh. that Dominic and I are going to discuss... <laughs> What we would do and our plans. And so I'm excited for Dominic's. I might, we'll see. We'll do a bit of a decision at the end um, because I want to do one of ours for the main episode, but then one for the Patreon. I think Dom, yours is going to be better suited for Patreon for our paying customers.
0: Before you move on though, Kate, I'm I'm, I'm not even going to ask a question about about Mr. Beach. I'm just going to make a suggestion to the survivors, the family, extended family, start selling tickets to that shit because it clearly, you're in the place, the work is being done. Like I would, if I were there, I would totes buy a ticket and want to go check out a 46 bus mega bunker from, you know, I would pay the money. I'd pay 50 bucks. You can charge. So go do that, folks. Absolutely.
1: Give me the ticket and chuck in a t shirt or a hat like I'm in. I'll Absolutely. Chop I'm in. I I'll
0: chop, chop some wood for you. I'll chop some wood.
1: No worries. I'll chop some wood. I'll clean some bunker windows. I don't care.
0: Done.
1: I'll do it. Okay. Moving on to <laughs> <laughs> Moving on to my next uh, short story. I love these little tidbits. I love to give you just a really broad overview of any topic I do with That's no real substance, <laughs> no real clout, just a quick little story to pique your interest and leave you wanting more.
0: Where is empty uh, is a cheap loaf of bread from a Chinese bakery.
1: <laughs> <laughs> Full of bloody holes. You yeah. wouldn't believe it. This panini is more like, holy, <laughs> oh, no, nah, fucking hell. Okay, I lost the plot. We're back. this and. and 2008. We're going to Russia. Come to Russia with me, Dom. You do at the moment with your bandana on.
0: What um, is a Russian accent? How do you, Russian accents must be the hardest.
1: Do you want to. Yeah. Want no. to. Nah, I've, no. Nah, ooh, I just need a couple of keywords and then I can switch into it. No, nah, I can't do it. Sorry, folks. But we're going to Russia. So do yeah. join us. If you've got a Russian accent, D- uh, listen to this in that. ha <laughs> ha.
0: Imagine this that a Russian
1: So easy. Accent. So easy. Okay. In 2008, there was the Penza Bunker Cult. So it's a combo of a cult and doomsday preppers. I'm
0: here I for love it. it.
1: What a combo. They, the Penza Bunker Cult, spent almost six months living in a primitive underground cave, waiting for the world to end. Attempts to persuade this group of people to come out. You had to shout down a chimney to be like, hey, guys, could you, I mean, it's been six months. Are you all right? Like, can I, can we do anything? I'm not sure why I all of a sudden moved to like northern London there. You're all right. You're all right. You want to come out of the bunker now? You're right. It's a bit, it must be a bit smelly in there. (laughs) (laughs) Now. In So this was in uh, uh, April of 2008. So when this article was um, released, they had said that 14 members of a Russian doomsday cult emerged from their remote underground hiding place after six months. They had apparently concluded that the recent collapse of part of their roof meant that God now wanted them to return to the surface. So this was... The premise of their cult uh, was a religious fascination Mm. um, and what they believed was going to happen. Another 14 cult members were still inside the bunker in the Penza region, two of them children. Now, seven women left a week later. However, local officials were confident that the last uh, members would leave in time for Orthodox Easter, which was April 27th, 2008. All are in good health, considering they have spent half a year underground, <laughs> said Oleg Melnichenko, Deputy Governor of the region, where members of the cult have been holed up in a hillside since October. They have refused medical attention and are now in a house praying where they say they will stay until Orthodox Easter. The group that emerged included two girls aged 8 and 12, as well as its most difficult member, Vitali Nedegong. Malnichenko said the remaining members had all refused offers to leave. Now, the peaceful exit of these uh, 28 members um, or 20-ish members, it was a rare triumph for Russia's authorities who refrained from storming the cave. So they could have. So really in the sense of it being a doomsday cave, is it any good? They could have just popped a smoke bomb down the chimney. Yeah. If they're chatting down there, <laughs> yeah,
0: true. <thump. laughs>
1: ah, we're coming out. Uh, the group had threatened to blow themselves up with gas canisters if the police tried to remove them by force, mm. but that didn't oh. happen. And then they came out of there. But they were of the understanding that there was going to be in a religious Armageddon, so they hold up for six months, and then they came out, and they were like, "Oh, okay." Do you
0: know what? One of the one of the things that I you know how you just wish that you could be there to open the fucking door on these dickheads that are like the world's <laughs> going to end on March la. and then yeah. you just want to sit there with a the camera and just film them and be like, "Bitch, I'm fine. Things are great. You were wrong." I just want to capture that moment mm-hmm. when they're where where they're proven wrong. But yeah, thing, okay, you cannot argue with insanity.
1: No, you can't argue with an idiot.
0: These people would come up with some excuse that just robs you of that enjoy that succulent
1: oh Mm. induce (laughs) you to
0: watch someone's whole fucking world crumble and be like, no, the world didn't end. They'd come Uh up with some excuse.
1: Yeah. (sighs) Oh well. You cannot argue with an idiot. It's full stop. All right, so that's our little penza bunker cult. Little penza bunker cult clowns. Let me tell you a little bit about Tim Ralston. Do you know Tim Ralston, Dom?
0: Do I? Oh, don't I don't know. Do.
1: The never-ending hysteria over doomsday cometh has sparked a growing movement of people called preppers who prepare for the end of the world as we know it and in some cases make a profit. Tim Ralston, a married father of two from Arizona, is one such prepper. All right. There's Tim. lots of things that could happen, Ralston said. For me... I look at prepping is kind of like insurance. You have car insurance, health insurance, life insurance. Call it apocalypse insurance. Ralston turned his family's two ga- two mm. <clears throat> Ralston turned his family's two car garage into a staging area. Inside is a trailer which he keeps packed and ready to go at all times. Stockpiles of freeze-dried food including cartons of canned chicken with a shelf life of 15 years. I'm really sorry, but Whoa. I am not eating canned chicken. I don't give a shit if the the used by is still good. I'm not eating canned chicken. You Ooh. can shove it right up your doomsday, because I do not want a part of it. <laughs> um,
0: <laughs> I just I just tried to picture what it tasted like and it's
1: Oh, boring. don't do that. That's awful. So, uh, yeah, a canned chicken with a shelf life of 15 years. He also has survival gear inside this trailer um, and a system for purifying polluted water. He has first aid kits and lots of weapons and ammunition. His Mm. son has his own AK-47. That seems reasonable, Mm -hmm. but I'm not going to hop onto that soapbox just yet. In the beginning, my wife really wasn't on the same page as I was. I don't know why he's in Texas now, Ralston said. But in reality, the more information I started to give her, it opened up her eyes and the other potential threats that are out there. Once a week, Ralston takes his two sons out into the Arizona desert, about 30 minutes away from their Scottsdale home, for a doomsday dress rehearsal. That's going to be totally fine for his two sons to process that from a Healthy perspective. Eventually, Ralston says that he plans on a using a converted shipping container to build an underground shelter in the desert filled with anything that they would need to survive. I am shocked he's not done that already, to be yeah. perfectly frank. What are you waiting for? Do it. Stuff your trailer down there, you champ, and all your AK-47s. Dare yeah. you. You just never know, he said. I have a lot of other religious friends that say, I don't want to prepare, I'll just go to heaven. And I say, that's Well, right. do you know make what it's sure like to starve to death? To it's not drinks. a pleasant thing. Don't forget <laughs> to subscribe, rate, and review. God us, put you on this earth for certain things, and for me, it's, it's to make sure my family lives and I can help other people. Ralston is just one of several people featured on National Geographic series Doomsday Preppers. Other participants include a couple from Texas who live off the grid, filter their own water, have a stockpile of canned goods, probably chicken as well, um, (laughs) enough to feed 22 people for years and have converted school buses into getaway vehicles. Mm. Wow. I'm imagining like Mad Max style. Love it. Very cool. Uh, There is also, so just sidestepping from Tim, a New England mum, Kathy Harrison, who calls herself the Doris Day of Doom.
0: <laughs> uh. <laughs> hey, if you're going to do it, be glamorous about it.
1: I'm prepping for a black swollen event like a catastrophic New Madrid earthquake, she said. I'm taking artistic liberties with these accents, Please but she's do saying it. Doris Day, whatever. Harrison and her husband Bruce didn't fit the survival stereotypes in the sense that they're not stockpiling weapons. Instead, which I flippin' love, she keeps bees. Yes. In a grid, in a grid down situation, those bees become not just food for us, but they become honey that we can barter for, Harrison said. Those bees are the essence of resilience <laughs> for us. <laughs> that's
0: a lot of, that's a lot of That was bad. That was a lot there.
1: That. that was, the, they were hard words in that accent. Yes. Yeah. Paranoia over the world coming to an end is part of the zeitgeist now. Chevrolet, in fact, ran an ad during the Super Bowl about a post-apocalyptic world in which only people who owned the Chevy Silverado pickup truck survived.
0: (laughs) Smart, but stupid. So
1: dumb, yeah. Even TV comedies like Parks and Recreation have had fun with the doomsday frenzy. Some people fear the humanity's downfall will come from our dependence on technology and fossil fuels, which could fail us or run dry and we'd be forced to back back into the Stone Age, Mad Max style. Others are convinced the Mayans had it right and the day of reckoning would have come on December 21st, 2012. Or they think that we're simply gonna run out of time. Now, again, for those of you playing at home, December 21st, 2012, we're all right. We made yeah. it. Woo! We're okay, folks. (laughs) To be perfectly honest, you can take (laughs) 2020 back and 2021. You can keep those. Um, Maybe they got it wrong because it wasn't 2012, it was 2021. Um, Okay. Now, Tim, I'm going back to Tim for a second. We're moving on from Doris Day of Doom.
0: If we must.
1: Tim is one of the few preppers that are available to the media and regularly conducts interviews. So he has been on doomsday preppers. He does heaps of interviews, writes books, does all that sort of stuff. So it's not common for doomsday preppers to be quite as open with the media or to allow them such access purely because, uh, no doubt, a fear of judgment or a fear of um, ridicule for what they're doing. I will never, ever, again, our podcast is all about not yucking someone's yum. If it is your thing, flip and do it. If you want to be a doomsday prepper, go nuts. Providing you're not hurting anybody else or you're not, you know, doing things that are, you know, uh, expediting the process perhaps of a doomsday, then go nuts. Uh, But Tim Ralston does allow a lot of media contact and, um, yeah, he has been on a few episodes of the Doomsday Preppers. Here's the little tidbit. Now, Ralston prides himself on being ready and prepared for any event. Uh, However, during an episode of Doomsday Preppers, he was not ready for the event that happened to him. Ralston was practising shooting when his gun discharged unexpectedly, blasting his left thumb almost completely off. (laughs) Fortunately... And I love he the does. tone of this article that I took it from. Fortunately, he was able to get medical care quickly. His thumb is shortened because the middle part was completely shot off, but he has recovered besides having a short thumb. I guess it's a good thing that he wasn't in one of his bunkers at the time. Wink.
0: Isn't it great to have doctors and all all the great luxuries? of oh,
1: And Kate, expedited, I know, expedited medical, um, yeah, procedures. All right, I'm changing tacks a little. Thank I'm going to finish our main episode um, on a little bit of a different tone of our uh, ideas. So I did have information um, that was quite, I mean, it was heavy. It was from a article by The New Yorker, mm-hmm. an extensive article. It is many, many pages long. Not I read, read the whole thing and it's fascinating, and I did take some excerpts from it, but looking at the time at the moment, I'm going to skip over that, but it is about modern-day doomsday preppers. However, the focus is on the super rich, so what they do, and a Ooh. lot of the people that are in that space are people who are uh, big wigs of major tech corporations. Yeah. Essentially, to summarise, it is a real deal for them particularly a technological Armageddon, so if your main business is technology and that were to fail, uh, they catch up with each other, they talk about it, they talk about what they can do, they talk about like where they are putting money and like what they're doing on the basis of something like this happening. They most have purchased different either properties or private islands or private locations on, you know, in different countries in order to move there or live there or whatever the case may be if technology shit itself um in a really profound way fascinating article and this mm. these are all real life examples of what they're doing and what they talk about how they plan yeah
0: because um, they got the money which correct. is fascinating they do. Yeah.
1: exactly so it's just a different kind of it's not yeah stockpiling cans of chicken it's yeah purchasing islands so that if they needed an escape um from whatever it might be they have one uh fascinating but I'm skipping over that because, again, I'm not going to give you any profound information that you can take away from this podcast, just a little tidbit. <laughs> uh,
0: Let me go ahead and tell link, you. Though. We're going to share that. I would be fascinated Absolutely. to know. Absolutely. So thanks for sharing it. In I theory. will.
1: No problems. I will. I'll find the whole link. Again, yeah, it's, a, it's a, a very long article but well worth the read. I really enjoyed it. What I want to talk to you about are some of, staying on the theme of the super rich, some of, the bunkers that are available to you um, if you have squillions of cash bucks. Can I tell you about some of them?
0: Please. I want to know the deluxe of deluxe.
1: I will give you plenty of images. They don't look like bunkers at all. I, <laughs> they are just multi million dollar properties. Uh, let me explain a little bit about some of them. The Opidium or the Opidum. Opidum? I'll call it Opidum. Now, it's located in Czech Republic in Europe and it's surrounded by mountains. Now, this is a luxurious doomsday bunker that sprawls over 323,000 square feet of area and it has all leisure and work facilities. It offers one 6,750 square foot apartment and six 1,724 square foot apartments on a (laughs) scale of that's bigger than my house mm. too <laughs> holy shit, mm. um, that's like the holy shit scale of sizes for apartments. It also has, just because you don't want to get bored, a golf course, a halipad, an underground five-star class bunker with restrooms, um, and in those restrooms they have a whirlpool bath, double sinks, rainfall showers, a spa, swimming pool, a garden which is simulated with natural light, a cinema, a library, billiards room, conference and communication rooms, a gym, a, bl- a bar, and an extravagant wine cellar. <laughs> it yes. also has a hospital, a dental surgery facility, um, and then other facilities like water, air, ele- electricity, and food. The bunker in Czech Republic, the Opidum, is said to support its users independently for 10 years and protect them from nuclear attacks.
0: All right. Well, so, put that on the list of places to go, folks.
1: If you want to be in the apocalyptic doomsday in style, then that's one for you who to try. owns that one? Try. <laughs> I don't know. I think it's just, uh, I don't know who owns it. it could be a company. Yeah. Um, yeah I don't again, want you
0: to know who owns it.
1: <laughs> again, I've done no additional research or fact-finding in this episode. It is just what you see is what you get, which cool. I like. We're just flying by the seat of our pants. Do it. Now the Vivos Group, this is a group that build. It's a consortium that create doomsday bunkers. The Vivos Group is one of the fastest growing doomsday bunker companies. Now they claim that their shelters can give protection against nuclear war, bio war, terrorism, anarchy, electromagnetic, na- na- yep, electromagnetic pulse, solar flares, pole shift, killer comet, global tsunami, planet collisions, and volcanic eruptions. Okay, that's a, well, quite so the resume. List. Yeah, yeah, I like it. I'm I'm ticking those off. I I'm would go to the that. Sound of v- <laughs> I'd go to the Vivos group and say, "Now, does it help if there's a solar flare?" And they go, "Got you covered. Solar flare is part of the deal."
0: What um, is if Paul Taranto lets out a fart that could kill it. You know, a whole army? or
1: even just his snoring He's snoring. Snoring. At night. Yeah. Can does it, it help with you that? From the snoring. Yes. Now, this particular example of a Vivos Group Doomsday Bunker is carved into a 400-foot-high mountain in Rothenstein, Germany. The Vivos Europa 1 is spread over 76 acres above and below ground. It was a military fort turned private apartment and it has 34 living quarters, each 2,500 square feet these customizable parabolic units include kitchen bedrooms deluxe bathrooms living dining swimming pool theater gym a bar and those are all part of the requirements naturally mm-hmm. they have impregnable you cannot get them pregnant steel doors and the thick concrete shells offer great protection the train depot helicopters and cars owned by the Visa vivos group help in easy act- access at times of emergency these units reflect the ambience of a mansion built underground. Of course, they do. God.
0: Vivo, awesome. I'm up for getting one of them for Christmas. Like, mm. yeah, no, that's. Same. And I'm curious, like, imagine if you had a Vivo in Germany and then, like, a Vivo in Australia and a Vivo in, like, I don't know, Brazil and be like, let's get on the Vivo line. Yep. Say hi to everyone. I like that idea. Network. I
1: hear you. Yeah. Now, I don't want to just spotlight Europe. We're going to the States. We're going to one of the places that cost me way too much money, oh, Las yeah. Vegas. Viva Las Vegas, baby. <laughs> there is a bunker. It is not one of the Vivos Group's bunkers, but there is a bunker um, that is available for you <laughs> in Las Vegas. This one, it's great because it's almost like classic Vegas. There's. <laughs> I will put a picture up of the outdoor area, Um, and it looks like a 1970s backyard. Like, I love it. I'm I'm 100% here for it. Now, unlike the usual doomsday bunkers, the entry points of this bunker are designed like rocks that camouflage within the surrounding. The massive 14,620-square-foot bunker is 26 feet below the ground and is shielded by a house, which is above ground. Now it was built during the Cold War period. The interior designs and the, and the kitchen equipment reflect that period. The yard also has concrete columns that are turned into artificial trees to enhance the quality of the space. You need to see these. They look shit <laughs> <laughs> They're the worst. The bunker also includes a spa, a pool, a guest house, a fountain, a nightclub, a bar. Bars very important in a doomsday bunker, is what I'm understanding. Ugh. A barbecue. Can you explain how I'm barbecuing in a bunker,
0: folks? If you have got live flame and need exhaust that goes up to the air, up to the fucking atmosphere, it's not going to do you very good. Just,
1: just saying, just throwing it out there.
0: Just Defeating the purpose,
1: one hundred percent. Now the barbecue. Also, the barbecue doesn't, the house, the house has a barbecue, but the barbecue mm. doesn't have five bedrooms. The house has five bedrooms and six luxurious bathrooms. The lighting in the yard, which we will demonstrate in the picture on our sosies, it simulates uh, daytime and nighttime. So mm. it makes it look like day and night, which I kind of like because I would not, I'd I'd need that. Like your circadian yeah. rhythm would need that. Um, you,
0: you know how much of a Sookie Lala la I am about the sun and the cold and things yes, like that. I do.
1: So you two would need that for Put sure.
0: me out of my misery.
1: Yeah, without a doubt. Now I'm going to finish on the fact that human focus has been there for a lot of these bunkers, um, you know, just about human surviving, right? Yeah. Now whilst humans are trying to protect uh, themselves from the upcoming apocalypse, there's another uh, situation and a bunker that has been created uh, for different species. Uh, To save agriculture, Norway, with the help of many other countries, has built the Global Seed Vault in Svalbard to prevent the extinction of plant species in the event of an apocalypse. The luxurious Seeds Doomsday Bunker can house up to four and a half million seed varieties in three cold storage units. Now, since the vaults are a hundred meters into the into a mountain of Svalbard, the natural temperature minimizes the need for electricity-powered storage and creates a safe environment for the four and a half million seed varietals. It's so cool. So it's so cool. cool. It's really awesome. And again, we will pop a picky of that in our socials. Imagine a bunch of like tunnels going into a mountain, and that's where they keep all of the seeds and that Lerms and germs is our episode of the Doomsday Delights that you can take away and share uh, wherever and whenever you want what do I care Ugh. I'm not your mum <laughs>
0: <laughs> hey I love this topic so much it's-
1: I know it's so fun and I cannot Ugh. wait to pop over to Patreon which we're just about to do so that Dom can just fro fro froth at the mouth for his interpretation of doomsday and what he's going to do because i can't wait we were, we touched on it last week touched yeah. on it and now i want to hear the whole kit and caboodle see the movie buy the t-shirt but you've <sighs> got to go over to patreon in order to do so
0: well before we do that kate i've got a quick question for you hit me for both of us if of all the scenarios of all the possibilities if you had to pick one, how do you think, you know, and don't give me in 60 billion years when the sun no, expands no, no, no. and blows up the no. earth. Man, human-made disaster apocalypse, what do you think it's going to be?
1: I firmly believe that human beings will make planet Earth untenable. I, I, I believe that whatever and however we continue to live, whether it's in 50 years or 100 years, we're not talking thousands of years. I think it's really genuinely that that close. Um, but it'll be in the next couple of lifetimes of a human. We will fuck it up so badly that it will eat us alive. That's okay. what I believe. That's what I think will happen. And it's, you know, without getting too deep, it's happening now. It, you know, you can see changes <laughs> in in temperatures and daylight and storms and extreme weather events and stuff like that. If Mother Nature ain't happy with us, she's going to sort us out and she's going (laughs) to fuck us off and then she'll regenerate and somehow we will find a way because we always do and I know that there's a lot of really, really smart people out there that are working really hard to try and make this the best planet that it can be. But then there's also a lot of other people that are doing the opposite. So I truly believe that it will just be us fucking shit up that will cause the demise. That's my thought. What about right. you? It's between the super
0: hedgeron collatery, whatever the thing. Like, oh yeah, we, or the the whole dark matter thing. I'm like, I'm all for. That's my. I think that's our modern day like black hole starting type bullshit yeah um so i find that really cool and but i think that's very far-fetched but i agree i think we are going to destabilize our climate to a point where economies and countries and things fall to shit yeah and it's a bit of a every person for themselves Mm. scenario but anyway Kate, well done on an epic episode. Sorry for cutting you off so many times. No, not at all. so good fitting so much in.
1: That's it. It was a, yeah, it was a red hot ep. And uh, yeah, we will post the link for that New York Times article about the super rich and their plans. (laughs) If you want to (laughs) go and party with some of them. Get some ideas, um. But yes, head over to Patreon now if you're one of our members, and if you're not, head over there now and give us five bucks, and you can hear the rest of our story. Oh damn it, you cheapskates! Let's go.
0: I <laughs> will see you next week for my. Bye. I love last you. M- Bye.